0: Welcome back to Cabin Minute Cast. The scenario has been chosen. The ritual has begun. We are ready to appease the old gods one minute at a time. I'm Heidi Bennett of HeidiBennett.com. And I'm Molly Balin of
1: LittleRedMark.com. In today's episode, we're covering minute five of The Cabin in the Woods. And in this minute, we start with some juicy tidbits about Dana's breakup and with Holden nearly getting creamed by a car and in between, we get introduced to Thor.
0: All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we get the guys coming in. Let's see, we're on minute five and the girls are still kind of talking about this jerky guy yeah so i had a little something that i that i came across that i thought was sort of interesting which is the tie in that i was going to talk about a little tease that actually is a tease to both this way that dana's being portrayed and also to the power rangers that we discussed in last (laughs) minute (laughs) so how does it all come together it all comes together with costumes and the costume designer which is shauna and her last name is pronounced terpsic so it is spelled t-r-p-c-i-c But luckily, I found a great website that looks very interesting about costumes, and it's called My Disguises, and this article is written by Manny Mayer, and it's an interview with Shauna, last name Terpsik. The funny thing was, at first, I just looked up her name, of course, on IMDb, like we often kind of start our journey. I thought, oh, wow, that's an interesting name. It's, you know, the the last name is... Has one vowel in it, and <laughs> you know how do you pronounce this thing? And uh, I I googled it, and there was a little Google video that said how to pronounce this, you know, and it had the spelling. And I thought, okay, I'll well, I'll click on that, and then the it, the audio from it played, and it said how to spell T R P C I C, and then it just said. T-R-P C I C just oh, reset said the letters. <laughs> Thoroughly oh, unhelpful. That's not very helpful at all. <laughs> so, but luckily I came across this article that talks about her, and she's definitely done a lot of stuff for Joss Whedon, but she's also done one of the Power Rangers films. So she's done costumes for Power Rangers, um, Galaxy Quest, Firefly, Angel the Dr. Horrible sing-along blog, Dollhouse, and um, all sorts of stuff. She's been busy and done a lot of cool movies and TV shows and such. The other thing that I came across was this article from clothesonfilm.com. And that says, the costume clues reveal all in The Cabin in the Woods. So I'm not going to read the whole article. That would be pretty tedious (laughs) but i'll say that the gist of the article is that they talk about talking with shauna and that she said that they the, the costuming was very very specific and there's a lot of subtext so they make the example of there's certain forms of costuming. Some of them are very obvious and visible, like like say a gown that's um, you know, like a Dior gown from the fifties for Anna Karenina for for example. And then um something invisible like a subtle military uniform, you know, just kind of blends in as this is a military uniform. Of course, that makes sense because this is, a say, a military movie. And then there's these subtextual costumes and that that's what they do here. They look commonplace, right? So they're all dressed kind of like your average college kids, but there's something, a story being told by the way that the costumes evolve throughout the whole movie. So that really caught my eye. And what they talk about is that, in, I'm just going to read a little bit the film's costume designer. Shauna T, I'll call her for short, (laughs) created a subtle reversal for the main characters, the five archetypes from horror movie folklore. Think of the teenage victims in Halloween, A Nightmare on Elm Street, or Friday the 13th. They're all variations of the underwear-flashing tramp, the bespeckled academic, the jock in his varsity jacket, the plain shirt-wearing innocent girl, and the scruffy stoner. The Cabin in the Woods establishes these personality stereotypes really in the first 10 minutes, only to change them around completely during the first act. Mm. Costume is one of the most ingenious signifiers of this. So they point out that. And like we we noticed, you know, Dana's the one that's dancing around in her underwear and having or have ha- has had this, you know, rather lascivious affair. So you could say, oh, she's the tramp, she's the quote unquote whore. And then Anna Hutchison. She comes in, she's in this stable relationship. She's, you know, bouncing around in kind of a floral dress that, you know, sort of could be innocent and virginal. You know, maybe she's not a virgin, but sort of this virtuous, virginal kind of feel. And then Kurt, who we're going to meet in this minute, he's got just a plain gray t-shirt, and then he's very book smart. You know, he, he's grabbing the books and tossing them around and talking about studious things. And then we get Holden, and he's the one that's got the hoodie and is catching the football. You know, that very quickly, these, these icons or this iconography is sort of established with the way they're dressed, And the one person who doesn't change his costume throughout the whole thing is our good old buddy Marty that we haven't quite met yet, but we'll be coming up to him and he's got that shabby stoner, you know, scooby shaggy kind of look going on. So yeah, well, it's just something we're going to pay attention to here is how these costumes change the story as it progresses.
1: That's really fantastic insight and I'm especially connecting with Jules's presentation because blondes have historically been the protagonist, the the good girl. Is blonde. The good girl wears a floral dress. The good girl wears, you know, a white dress. And I believe she wears a white dress here, white sundress with nice flowers on it. And the villain is either a redhead or the hussy hussy's a redhead
0: (laughs) (laughs) Or uh,
1: (laughs) or the villainous has got you know raven hair so you're right there is this complete reversal of character the there's a fake out that happens
0: initially all through dress yeah so yeah we'll we'll just take a note of that now and see how things change as as the movie goes on So what other things did you notice here in this minute five of The Cabin in the Woods?
1: Well, on a similar note of fashion, there is a sexy red bikini that Jules pulls out of the closet and thoroughly encourages Dana to pack, as in Holden might be somebody to be pulling her out of that at some point. So there's a a definite... Goodwill. I hope you get laid here. (laughs) Right, (laughs) right. (laughs) Cry your tears on the jock
0: instead of (laughs) the drawing from last week. Heal with his steel. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Heal with his steel. That is magic. I've never heard that before. That's
0: incredible.
1: Wow, that's so noble. (laughs) That's awesome. So I feel like the little red bikini is super useful as a visual aid here because you think of summer. you think of youth. We're in a bikini. It's attractive. This is about like attracting somebody. Flower of the youth yada yada it's super fun this is about frivolity and we do get a little bit later about hey why are you packing books this is about fun this is about frivolity this is about joy this is not about something being very heady right it's about youth and sex and summer and all of that has a really powerful evocative sense i believe a keg is mentioned (laughs) as well these are the epitomes of what it is to be fun and youthful.
0: Man, kegs. You know, I I remember <laughs> I didn't yeah. go to college, but my college years of living in Sacramento and being in my, you know, upper teens and early 20s, well, my girlfriend Penny and I had our first super rager. Like we each had we had gotten an apartment, you know, we had secured an apartment as um 18 year olds And we each got jobs and then we had that, okay, if we're going to make out, you know, we very thoughtfully said to each other, if we're going to really get to know the people of Sacramento, having moved down from Grass Valley, uh, the foothills of California, if we're really going to get to know people, we need to have a rager. (laughs) So we invited a few key, like creative, weirdo, punko, new wave freaks That we'd met already and basically just gave them carte blanche to invite whoever they wanted to. So it was sort (laughs) of our debutante's ball, you know, our coming out party where we, um, you know, had just basically empty apartment and decorated it in our own special way and played, you know, our stereo and had good music going, and then just had all these freaks come over. And I remember I really felt like it was a party when people weren't just bringing their, you know, handful of a sixer, but actually (laughs) brought a keg to the party. (laughs) And that party lasted for an entire weekend. And we both ended up with boyfriends by the end of it.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh because like how could you not see that these are quality chicks you know there's the beer flows the parties here yeah that's <laughs> that's epic and that's that's summer god i have a a similar my gosh it, it really was like an epic when people really take the party seriously it's a beautiful thing this was early 20s and i recently moved to portland and we got invited to these lacrosse people, which pff, I'm not athletic, but somebody who I know was athletic and invited us, and they had a liquor luge. So they had bought a gigantic block of ice that people use to carve for like swans or weddings, you know, like some beautiful, something beautiful would come out of it and something did. They basically cut tracks in it. Somebody had built a contraption to put it at a now like a 45 degree angle mm-hmm. so they had bought an i mean an obscene amount of booze i mean they must have saved up for this they had so much hard liquor in so they were mixing at the top end and then you would go to the other end of the ice block and take whatever they had poured down the top gotcha and it was amazing it was just <laughs> yeah it was such a similarly such a great entree into portland and yeah, it was just epic. One of those like 80s movie epic youth parties of which
0: <laughs> these
1: poor bastards think they're going to
0: have. <laughs> exactly, yeah. We've got the cabin. We've got the keg. We've got the bikini. Let's let's get out of here. Leave those academic books behind. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, what else is going on here? I think you observed a little something that I also noticed, too. A little sticker on the wall.
1: Yes, and I'm so appreciative that you also saw it. But also, when we were talking off mic, you have excellent punk pedigree, as people probably already know from Spinal Tap. And if you haven't listened to Spinal Tap Minute, then you will definitely get introduced to uh, Heidi's excellent punk pedigree background but there is a sticker on the window behind jules and dana and it's a k record sticker yes and yes k- <laughs> <laughs> okay oh, <laughs> records and for those of you who are grunge fans early 90s punk speaking of punk pedigree. So I graduated from the Evergreen State College in Olympia, Washington, and I'm still in the Pacific Northwest in Portland, Oregon. And K Records was quite simply legendary. And not only was it started by alumni of the Evergreen State College, but it was Just instrumental in the Riot Grrrl movement, um, had connections to Slater Kenny, Bratmobile, and you all will know Portlandia because um, one of the folks from Slater Kenny is on Portlandia, Bikini Kill... Fugazi built a spill back. And also, as a side trivia note for the Nirvana fans, Kurt Cobain had a K Records tattoo.
0: Yeah, I'm so glad you brought it up. And I definitely that K really stood out to me. That you know, K Records was founded in nineteen eighty two. So it that's right in my wheelhouse of music that I was listening to and that college alt diy world it was a part of it so they started with just making cassettes and that's how the stuff got distributed. It was stuff on cassettes, music on cassettes and it was a way for Calvin Johnson to say, hey, there's this amazing music scene happening here and this is how I'm going to help spread the word is releasing these cassettes with like beat happening on them. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, and then like you said, it just grew and grew and grew. My little connection to it is that I had, much like many people in the um, 80s and nineties, I had a zine and my zine was called Teen Meat. (laughs) It was a parody of (laughs) Teen Meat and Tiger Beat, but we called it Teen, M-E-A-T, Teen Meat. My friend Penny that I mentioned before, who I had my first apartment with, this was one of our Huge creative collaborations, and so we would do really silly things like interview local bands in Sacramento, but treat them as if they were teen heartthrobs, and then we'd write these vapid articles and, you know, find out their favorite color and how, you know, what they would do on a first favorite date, but they were like these scuzzy, grungy guys and cute guys, (laughs) too, you know, cute, (laughs) pop, punk guys and and people making you know metal music and alternative crazy music and all this stuff and it got to a point where you know the the local clubs would let us come in for free because we'd be covering the local music scene and and it was really super fun and it was all you know xeroxes and it was really really satisfying and Calvin Johnson he was a fan so he he actually he was playing in Sacramento we met him briefly and he said oh yeah i was at sassy headquarters so sassy magazine do you remember sassy mhm yep so sassy was sort of a it was a girls magazine but it was this companion piece if if people don't remember sassy it was something that was a bit of a revolutionary magazine. So it was a teen magazine, but it was for female fans of alternative and indie rock. So it did have one of their iconic covers has Kurt on the cover, Kurt Cobain, Courtney Love, and, and they Jane Pratt was the founder and editor and, and kind of like a precursor to bust in a way but it was really something special. And so we had sent them and a lot of, other people like Maximum Rock and Roll and other magazines, Our Magazine. And we actually got some great reviews from these other magazines, but uh, which was high honor, you know, to be reviewed in Maximum Rock and Roll. Awesome. (laughs) But yeah, Sassy, they just had um, a couple of our issues sitting around in their lobby, I guess. And Calvin had picked up the magazine and told us how much he loved it and sent us a personal letter telling us how much he appreciated our magazine. So we were over the moon about that. That's my big connection to to K Records.
1: That is so incredible. I had no idea. Like people don't even understand Heidi is the punk queen. Seriously.
0: I had, you know, I had people ahead of me that gave me all sorts of good connections, whether they were people that were in bands or that were DJs at radio stations that Helped me along. And my aunt Joyce, she I think was the first person to turn me on to like uh, Oingo Boingo and other kind of weirdo stuff. And my dad's really into music too. So I definitely had a lot of uh, people around me to help me get educated early and then Penny and I moved to Sacramento. We uh, definitely had some older folks around that kind of schooled us on like okay, so you listen to X and The Clash that's cool, but listen to this shit, you know? Mm. (laughs) And Sacramento was a good place because it was sort of an in-betweener place, so there are a lot of clubs and bands that were playing, of course, in San Francisco, but a lot of those bands would also come to Sacramento, but it might be a slightly smaller club and uh we could go in and see some incredible incredible acts really really close up so yeah so there's Amazing. a little bit of that stuff we're making it personal which i think is good that's something that we did in um spinal tap minute that i think you and i definitely agreed we wanted to carry on is that we're going to be talking about this movie but you're going to be learning out about us and about our guests too and we do have guests coming up. We just thought that we'd start this all off by starting out with just the two of us. So I have a question for you. Okay, has Teen Meat survived
1: in any capacity in your <laughs> household, and is that possible to be shared? With oh my others? God.
0: My dad has copies of, I think, every single issue. I have the originals somewhere in a box. And then I have copies, yeah, somewhere. But they're not, like, easily accessible. Like, I can't (laughs) turn to the left here in my office and go, oh, here's a nice stack of them right here. They are around. They have survived. I think I'd like to see that. (laughs) I'll I'll see what I can find.
1: Yeah, I I think I'm going to go on record here to say that I would like to see those unearthed and to have some form of scanned and or photographic representation (laughs) that we can attach to this episode.
0: Cool. I'll see what I can do. We do have, my dad has scanned some covers before that he's shared on Facebook and stuff. So maybe I can find those and share them because that would be fun. That would be fun. Yes. So getting back to getting out of our tangent and back into this <laughs> minute. <laughs> so we have, like we mentioned before, we uh, when we were kind of talking about the costumes and all that is that we finally get Kurt pops in and he's got a football and he does that like uh you know, think fast kind of a thing where he throws the football to the girls and they just appropriately lean back a bit so that they're not hit by the football. It flies through the window and our new buddy is introduced seconds later. And that is Holden. Holden's out there. Just like we mentioned, we were talking about costuming. He looks like you're kind of your typical jock dude. He's grabbing the football and he's also you know, wearing a hoodie and looking pretty athletic.
1: And I do like that he tells the car that almost creamed him to just move along. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> yeah, like nothing to see here. Like I almost, you know, ran over like a 20 year old kid. But hey, move along, move along.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then the, we get the kind of the the gang looking out the window down at him down there, too. So I like that little shot of the three of them peeking out. Like you said before, this is all sunshine and lollipops right now. We've got some freshly scrubbed young folk that look able-bodied and ready (laughs) to just go out and have a nice time in our bikinis and swim trunks and just, you know, have a carefree weekend up at the cabin. Before, as you said, the shit hits the fan. (laughs) So, is there anything else besides the fact that we've kind of met most of our crew here, most of our, our teen crew? Anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up episode five?
1: Well, there's one thing that came up that I found was interesting in my research, and there is a fan theory that Kurt is a villain. Ooh, juicy. Yes, and I thought that was very interesting. And the rationale behind that is Kurt is the only one who knows all the other people. Hmm. And that he would be ideally placed to get them out to the cabin. Because he's...
0: Spoiler alert. I mean, <laughs> he's sacrificed along with the rest of them, so So the other couple things that I read
1: about, and granted this is jumping ahead a little bit, but he is the only one who inspects two items in the basement when they when we finally get there, whereas the other people are only inspecting one, and so that was interpreted as he didn't get into one thing and maybe already knew to not spend too much time on one item or another. The other thing that they found to be very interesting is that he's got a dirt bike on the back of the RV Mm -hmm. and why would you go out somewhere with just the dirt bike when no one else can do something with you? So almost that he had an escape route to leave.
0: Intriguing
1: yes so maybe he didn't know he'd be a part of the sacrifice mm. but I, and then the other there's a comment way at the end of like i don't even think kurt has a cousin because this is supposed to be going to kurt's cousin's
0: cabin right i think that's revealed later too yeah that he actually doesn't have a cousin. <laughs> it's just bullshit all the way down <laughs> right 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 well I'm intrigued, but I'm not sold. <laughs> but it is an intriguing theory. And it's I good to have those fan fan theories out there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. I'm glad you brought that up. Well, shall we wrap up old episode five-o? Yes.
1: So we'd like to thank you for listening to episode five today. We
0: are Molly Balin. And Heidi Bennett. And this has been Cabin Minute Cast. Oh yeah join us for episode six which will be coming out out on friday and in episode six we're going to get a little peek into the relationship between kurt and jules so we'd like to thank you again for tuning in to minute five and we'll see
1: you back at the cabin